Well, if you turn in your Bibles, you're going to be in Matthew 25 today. The title of this message is, Who Are You? And I want to begin today by telling you of an experience that was told to me by a friend of mine. His name is uh, Ron. He's the son of, the, of my former senior pastor. And he went to school down at Central Bible College in Springfield before Evangel absorbed it a few years ago. And he was uh, just getting off duty. He worked there as part of his tuition. He worked on campus security to help pay for him to be able to go there. And he got off duty, and he was running late for chapel, so he was walking fast to chapel. And sitting near the chapel um, was this uh, guy. He was Honestly, he just looked kind of like a, a homeless guy, just sitting there, not, being, not uh, looking too good. He's dirty, uh, had a kind of a backpack next to him, and just kind of looked like somebody you, you just didn't kind of want to be around. And he noticed the people who were in front of him who were walking to chapel would kind of like, you know, see him and they'd kind of walk like over here and, and walk around him and, and keep walking. And he felt God just kind of prick his conscience about that. And so when he walked up to him, even though he was late for chapel, he stopped and he talked to him and said, you know, it's kind of cold out here. You have to be cold. I said, why don't you just come to chapel with me and sit in the back and maybe afterward I can take you down to the cafeteria and help you get something to eat. And so he... The guy accepted his offer, and he walked, walked him into chapel, and the guy sits in the back, and worship was starting to begin and everything. And, and as the worship concluded, the dean of students stood up and said, we have a, a special guest speaker today for our chapel. And the homeless man in the back stood up and walked to the front. He was actually a traveling evangelist who had been sitting out there um, seeing exactly how those Bible students would react to a homeless guy who was sitting there obviously cold and hungry and needed something, and yet only one person, the guy who was running late, gra um, grabbed him and brought him inside and offered to give him something to eat. And it was pretty convicting. I understand that the altars were pretty full, and uh, there was a lot of repenting going on there. So as we look at Matthew 25 here, we see that Matthew 25 is one long parable by Jesus, and it's broken into three different parts. All of them are expressing a central theme of what effect the reality of the kingdom of God should have in each one of our lives. And Matthew 25 is, is a preacher's dream. It's, it's probably at least a dozen sermons in there. We're going to look through the first couple of parables just very quickly and focus on the last one. Because Matthew 25 is all about the attitude that we are to have as citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus begins with what's known as the parable of the um, ten versions. And it's all about us keeping our hearts on fire for him. There are five wise virgins, five foolish virgins. Five were on fire for God, and five were carnal Christians, or Christians in name only. And at the coming of the bridegroom... Five were taken to the marriage supper, and five were left behind. And the takeaway from this was the necessity for us to be ready for the king to come, for us to be continually serving him, for us to keep up with our prayer life, to keep up with our devotional life, to keep up with our witness to this world, that we maintain a life of holiness and conviction and love for God. The parable of the talents is next. 
And it talks about truly giving our all to Jesus. It talks of a master who called his servants before him. He had three servants. One servant, he gives ten talents. Another servant, he gives five talents. And another servant, he gives one talents. Talents was a, a measure of money in the New Testament. And the person that he gave 10 talents, he puts it on out into the bankers and he earns 10 more talents and has the praise of his masters. The person who has five talents, he says, Master, look, I've earned five more. And he has the praise of his master. But the person who was only given one talent hides his talent and he tries to justify it by questioning the character of his master. He accuses the master of being unjust. He accuses the master of being hard and and unfair and not a rewarder of those who serve. Isn't that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit to equate that with God right there? To question the very character of God? And what happens to him? His, His talent is taken away from him and he is cast into utter darkness. The takeaway from this parable is don't show up before God with empty hands. You are to give gifts to your king when you meet him. If you look at it this way, God wants a return on his investment in you. You say, well, what was his investment? The most precious thing in the universe, the blood of the Lamb of God. If he has done so much for you, why won't you in return do much more for him? Jesus concludes this parable by listing another one and showing us why all of this matters. And we start in Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see, a, see you as a stranger and take you in? Or when did we see you naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least, Of my brethren, you did it to me. Father God, we ask, Lord, that this scripture will just transform the way of looking at our lives, Father. That our lives are not our own. We are bought with a price. Father, use this time this morning to bring us into further commitment to seeing your kingdom and your will And the testimony of Jesus Christ go forth in this community in even stronger and more bold ways, Father. Lord God, that is our heart, that is our wish this morning. And we do this for your glory and for your name. Amen.
The big idea that I want to take up here today is that serving Jesus isn't always doing huge things. We think sometimes that, you know, the missionary, they're the people out there on the front lines, and they really are. They really should be blessed by us. They should be supported by us. They really, really, really need to be held up in prayer by us. They need to be prayed for. That should just be part of our devotional life, is setting aside time to pray for our missionaries. But they are doing what God has called them to do. And we have a tendency to elevate them and say, well, you know, I'm never going to be as important to God as a missionary. Or I'm never going to, like, be on the same spiritual plane as a pastor. Or I'm never going to do the great things that evangelists do or anything. And we have a tendency to create a, almost a Christian celebrity in our mind where, well, you know, I know I'll never be way up there. And we get, we get that mindset and we think, we don't think that God has called us exactly where he has called us for such a time as this to the people that he has in our lives to be a witness for them. It has been said that the modern church has been so influenced and the modern Christian has been so influenced by the culture around us that if we were to rewrite Jesus' words in Matthew 25, it would read something like this. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter and the love of God, and then yelled at me for not having a job. Republican Party should uh, remember that sometimes. And I'm not, I'm not being political. I'm just saying we can get so far on those, into those arguments that we, some people are homeless, not by any fault of their own. They would also say I was lonely, and you left me alone so you could go pray for me. You seem so close to God, but I am still very hungry, very lonely, and very cold. We really have become the me generation. But is that what we should, should be? Is that what we have become as the church? Is that how God's kingdom is expressed to the local church as seen by our communities? Is that how they see us? Because that's not what Christ had in mind. If Christ is living within you, it should have put a fire within you. You should have that fire to want to worship. You should have that fire to want to pray. You should have that fire to want to serve. You should have that fire to want to just be in the presence of God. To sit before your commanding officer and hear his orders for you in your life. You should have a fire of obedience and repentance and a fire to see the kingdom advance. And one of the ways the kingdom advances is through servant evangelism similarly to what we're doing at the end of this month. Servant evangelism is simply summed up as a third point of our vision and mission statement, and that is serving our community. It is not just something that we put in there to, because it sounds good. It is something that we want to be missional about in doing the kingdom work. We want to show people through acts of service which reflect the love 
mercy, and grace of God. We want to show people Jesus that way. And Jesus showed us that this is to be our heart attitude. And when in John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. We all have read that chapter where he invites people to a Passover meal. So they come all dressed up. You know, they're coming in their Sunday best. Passover is like Christmas and Easter all wrapped up into one to a Jewish person of that time. So they come all, all ready for a formal religious dinner. And he comes, and instead of, you know, being the best dressed person there, I mean, after all, he's a pastor. He has to, you know, be up there all ready to go and, and look professional and everything. What he does is he takes off his shirt, takes off his lower garments. He's sitting there essentially in his loincloth, and he brings out a pail of water and does the job of a lowliest servant in the house, which was washing the feet. And you have to understand that Jesus was very intentional in doing the task of the lowliest slave to identify how his followers are to represent him. He's given us an example in showing us there is no small jobs in the kingdom as long as you're doing it out of love for him. See, if the man who had one talent had gone and, and done something with that talent and given one more, he would have gotten the exact same praise as the man who had ten talents. That's right. He would have gotten the exact same reward as the man who got five talents. There wouldn't have been any, any more praise. There wouldn't have been any, any more angels rejoicing. He would have gotten the same exact thing. And that is the example that Jesus wants to show to us. And it shows us there's no small job even in the church that is beneath you. I remember I saw, I saw a, uh, something on social media. I don't know if you've seen them. It's, it's these uh, like six pictures of, of various uh, jobs. And one of them was pastor. And it says how the public perceives you. And it showed a guy sitting behind a desk counting money. Um, it showed how my mom sees me and it showed us a guy going like this at people. And it said how I see myself, which was Billy Graham holding up a Bible and millions of people on their knees. And, and then um, what I really am like, and it showed a pastor on his knees before a toilet going, why God? You know, cleaning the toilet. And I remember looking at that and I said, well, why not God? Why can't I clean a toilet? And you know what? Honestly, at our last church, if there was a, a nasty mess to clean up, guess who got to do it? Oh, you're a paramedic. You're not grossed out by that. <laughs> when somebody uh, heckled our church somehow, they took, um, it looked like about a week's worth of uh, dog poop and smeared it over the back wall of our church. I was out there for three hours cleaning that off the back, back of the church. And I, I really didn't think, well, why do I have to do it? I'm a pastor. I'm not only a pastor, I'm a pastor elder. I'm on the board. I shouldn't have to do this. Let me go find some little person in a pew to go and do this kind of stuff. No, I'm a servant of Christ. If Christ calls me to do that, I say amen. Because I'm going to get a reward for it. That and he has done so much for me, why wouldn't I be willing to do something that most people would consider to be gross? Why wouldn't I give up TV time? Why wouldn't I give up a Packer game to serve? Why wouldn't I be willing to do that? I mean, it wasn't like he was saying, okay, as long as I'm done on the cross by 3 p.m., I'll be fine because, you know, there's a Badger game on, and I want to watch it. He wasn't like that. If he would have had hung up there for a year, he would have hung up there for a year if that's what it took to, to, 
um, satisfy God's justice. It also shows us the hard attitude of Jesus in serving others. And I've known people who, you know, you say, well, sister so-and-so, you know, has a need, and we're going to go over to her house and maybe fix her sink. And, you know, somebody will say, well, I don't even like sister so-and-so. She's a big mouth. She's a gossip. She's, you know, she said something about me once, and I still haven't forgiven her, and I haven't done this, and I'm not going to help sister so-and-so because of this. I've, I've seen that in the church. And Jesus showed us something here when he washed his disciples' feet. Remember, he washed two people's feet that are very telling of his heart for us. Number one, he washed the feet of Peter. What was Peter going to do in a couple hours to Jesus? Deny him right to his face. It says, that, it says in Luke's gospel that Jesus turned and looked at him, and Peter looked him right in the eye and denied that he even knew him. Jesus knew that was going to happen, and yet he also washed his feet. And yet he also died for Peter. What was the other man's feet that he washed? Judas. Judas, who was going to betray him to his death in a few hours, with a kiss even. If Christ could do that to these two men, who are we to not want to serve another human being? Why is it so hard for us to want to serve as he did? If you have it in your heart that you have a stubborn refusal to serve those around you after God has given you so much, I have to ask you, who are you? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Another reason we should be willing to serve the Lord is it testifies to the life-changing effects of the cross of Jesus in your life. It has been said repeatedly throughout Christian history, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you die. That is why Jesus said you must be born again, because you die. You are bought with a price. And if you are truly saved, the hallmark of that should be that you live only as Jesus lives within you. That is the perfect Christian life. We live as Christ lives within us. And that's, that's the rub of the matter, isn't it? And that's the hardest part about the Christian life, is surrendering everything that we have to him. And it's a lifelong process. Self-service, selfless service and self-sacrifice is not a natural part of our being. We don't like to do it. You know, if, if I'm at home and Tammy said, can you go fill my water jug for me? I'm in the middle of doing something else. I don't want to do that for her. You know, in my natural self, but, you know, the, the part of me that loves Tammy will be more than happy to do that for us. Well, it's the same thing with God. He may call us at an inconvenient time to go and do something like that. It wouldn't be very convenient for me if I was walking to church in the morning and there was a homeless guy sitting there on a tree on the way to work to minister to that person. Because, you know, i got to get the church set up, I have to get the Sunday school lesson going, I have to print the bulletin, I have to do all this stuff. But you know what? If God calls you to do something when it's inconvenient, that is a true test of your obedience and, and heart toward him if you actually take the time to do it. Just like my friend Ron did to that homeless guy on the way to chapel. He was about to get marked off 
or, or you know, have like a demerit against him in, in Bible college because he was late for chapel, but he still stopped and ministered to this man. And it, it showed up that he didn't, it didn't show that his entire class was, <laughs> was so far away from God that, you know, they wouldn't minister to a, a, a person there sitting on the side of the, of the quad there. So I ask you, what do people see when they look at you? Do they see a person who has the peace of God? Do they see a person who has a short temper? I used to have a person at work that his name was Brian, and he had just, everybody knew he had a very short fuse. He would just fly off the handle at everything. The phone rings, he'd fly off the handle. It's probably a dispatcher. It's probably a supervisor calling to yell at us about something. Or it's probably a dispatch calling us to give us a stupid call. Or it's probably this. And you just fly off the handle. And I admit when I work around people like that, pray for me because I kind of like pushing the button. I like poking the bear a little bit. And when I, whatever, I would work with Brian, and I would just do that, just gently. He, and he'd be like, the phone would ring. And, oh, it's probably a dispatch, probably giving us a, a dumb, long call that we have to be on. I said, I said, well, you know, when I talked to dispatch this morning, Brian, there was a... Uh, a call, BLS, going from like North Chicago going up to Madison for a guy who was spitting and combative and everything. And I said, since you're the BLS person, I guess that would be your call, wouldn't it? And I would be driving and he would just water. He'd just start flying off the handle. I can't believe this. We're going to send this on a ride. And I'd just sit there and I'd just be sitting there grinning at him. He'd look at me and he'd go, back with you, Johnny. Go, back with you. Because <laughs> he knew what I would be doing. But, I mean, is that the kind of person that people see you like, that you're like the Incredible Hulk, don't make me angry? You wouldn't like me when I'm angry? That you're just going to blow up at every little thing? Or do you have the cross of Christ working in your life that you are continually crucifying your flesh and continually crucifying your wants and your desires to the service of the king? Because that's really going to show people who is in control of your life your own passion, your own emotion, your own stubbornness, your own willing to or unwillingness to, to subjugate your heart to the gospel, or are they going to see somebody who Jesus is actually working through? So are you his sheep, or are you the world? Presence and power of God's spirit within you. The Holy Spirit is your connection to the heart of Jesus. That is why the Holy Spirit is here. That is why the Holy Spirit indwells within you, because it gives you a direct connection to the heart of Jesus and to the, remain, and to the entire Godhead. Jesus explained it this way in John 15 when he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be made, so that will it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Hmm. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine of the branches of a man you in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
A vibrant living relationship with Christ is vital to our existence in these last days. So very vital. Because this world was not the same place it was when I was growing up. It wasn't the same place it was when the people of this church was growing up. It's a very, very different world, a very, very different country. And we are traveling at breakneck speeds toward the end of this age. On Thursday at 10 p.m. Pacific time, we had Christians martyred on American soil. We all know about the, the man who came into a room, into a classroom, and started standing people up and asking them, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? If they said yes, they were shot in the head. If they said no, they got shot in the legs. Imagine the first person to go down. Now imagine you're the second person after seeing what happened to the first, and you're a Christian. And he asks you, are you a Christian? What would you say? Would you stand for your king? Are you ready to stand for your king today? Are you to shine brightly for him? Do you have gifts to bring him right now if you were to stand before him? Would you have gifts and give it to you? Are you serving in his kingdom? I know having an older congregation, we have a tendency to think that because we get older that there's a retirement that we should be able to have. One of the men who had the greatest example of service to God in my life was a man named Vern Lee. He worked in a factory, American Motors, for 30 years, got his retirement. Most people, American Motors' retirement back then was, I mean, he could live pretty, pretty well on an American Motors' retirement. And he could have just sat back, watched TV, gone on vacations. No, he went to Bible school, got his ministry credentials, and, probably, and became by far the best-known chaplain and minister in Kenosha. He was a visitation pastor of Tammy and mine's first church. And he was the first person to allow me to speak. Pastor Vern had a Sunday school class that was four times as big as this church numerically. He had 50, 60 people there on a Sunday morning. It was always, always joked that that was his church that would meet in, one of the, in the fellowship hall. And he was the first person to allow this, this crazy sinner guy that just got saved the chance to speak to people about Jesus. And he was probably one of the best examples of a love, humble love for Jesus right up until the day he died that I've ever met. You could call him day or night, sunshine, blizzard, whatever. If, you, if a hospital needed him, if a person needed him, he was there. Even in his, in his, into his 80s, he was that kind of person. We have a similar person here as, as Pastor Dismore. And should Jesus tarry and not come in the clouds in my lifetime, that's how I want to meet him. I want to meet him if God gives me that many years into my 80s and 90s, still serving him and not just sitting in a rocking chair, as long as he gives me the strength. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You say, how do we be the hands and feet of Jesus? Well, he tells us. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So I ask you, is this your heart? So who are you this morning? Are you one of his sheep? Are you one of those people who will receive the praise from him when you go to his right hand? Are you a goat just hanging around church for the good stuff that church can give you? Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org. Or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.